Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist and the Magical Mystery Tour Called Life, Matthew DiBiaz. Tonight's guest is Boston Red Sox historian Herb Crean. Herb has been a feature writer for a Red Sox magazine for the past 20 years with over 100 stories to his credit. He has authored or co-authored three books. His first, Red Sox Heroes of Yesteryear, was released in 2005. His second, which he co-authored with Tom Lauren, Lauren and John Verparian, Red Sox Baseball in the Days of Ike and Elvis, the Red Sox of the 1950s, was released in 2012. His third and latest book, The Impossible Dream, The 67 Red Sox, The Birth of Red Sox Nation, was released in 2016. Sunday, August 22nd, will mark Boston Red Sox immortal Kari Yastrzemski's 82nd birthday, and this year, 2021, marks the 60th anniversary of Carl Yastrzemski's rookie season in 1961. And tonight, Herb will discuss with me what Yaz gave to the Boston Red Sox and to baseball as a whole. Herb, welcome to the show. How old were you when? Yeah, how uh, Herb? How old were you when Carl Yastrzemski made his rookie debut in 1961? I was 16 years old, Matt, and the whole world was about to change. Girls were going to enter my world. And I had just uh, spent eight years watching the greatest left-handed hitter of all time, Ted Williams, and uh, we're kind of cynical, wondering how this kid is going to do. But uh, the writers gave him an enormous build-up. Because, uh, you know, they didn't like Ted Williams for one thing. Because it was clear he had uh, a lot of talent. Uh, and, and that build-up far exceeded what he was able to do uh, in his early years. So th there were great expectations when Yaskremski uh, took over from uh, Ted Williams in left field there. So was it? there were high expectations then? Absolutely. The... <laughs> You know, the writer says, wow, if you like Ted, what do you see this guy? <laughs> Which is about the worst thing they could have done for him. And we're like, oh, okay, that's great. Then say goodbye to Ted, but uh, this generation, uh, uh, we've got uh, 10 teams in American League, everything's changing. Uh, but it took, it took, yeah, it was a while to get his beer and uh, uh, get his sea legs. <laughs> What was Yaz's persona like as a player? Because you know, we all know that Ted Williams was basically combative with the press, even with the Boston fans to a certain extent. There was like a love-hate relationship. What was Yaz's persona? What was the image he projected to Red Sox fans? Uh, he uh, had an image of a hard-working, blue-collar, uh, regular player right up until 1967. And... Uh, you know, we got him as a, a Pete Reynolds with more power, uh, and and really until '67, he he had good averages. He uh, was a terrific fielder. He uh, certainly was a great contributor, but he could not be compared to Ted Williams. And, and they were the exact opposite. <laughs> Chris Reynolds, Ted was flamboyant, and uh, you know, yes, just wanted to do the job and go home. So. Uh, uh, writers didn't uh, necessarily appreciate that characteristic. Okay, but but was he approachable to fans and writers? I mean, did uh, I mean was his relationship uh, was it it wasn't as tempestuous as Williams' relationship with the writers was? Was it? Not in the least bit. Uh, he was very approachable, but he was a man of few words, <laughs> and he still is all these years later. Uh, you know, he he was just. 
I'm going to tell you a story that you've never heard, nobody will ever forget. A good friend of mine grew up living next door to the Ostrowski. Wow. His mother and father were best friends with Cal, <laughs> Carol and Cal. And uh, so they come over Sunday night to dinner like every other people couple. And after dinner, they start talking about world affairs. And my buddy's downstairs in the, in the you know, partner room. And they'll just come down and, and, and spend the time with him. <laughs> they were, he'd come down, shoot pool, they watch a movie. He had no interest in uh, adult uh, conversation about the events of the day. So, very, you know, very quiet, very, uh, very earnest. Describe Yaz. Let's, let's talk about Yaz, the baseball player. First, what was he like as a hitter? Describe his hitting style. I mean, how, how would you describe him? Well, the Raiders used to describe him as a man with a hundred batting stances because he was continually fine-tuning his approach and uh, uh, working at, at diff different, uh, uh, you know, stances. Uh, and and there wasn't any sense of, of great power. Uh, he came across as, as a, a terrific line drag hitter, uh, terrific average uh and again, he was a fine defensive player from the day he arrived, but uh, that's hardly the, the highlight of his career. So, okay, we anticipate the next question. Okay, so you said he was a very good outfielder. I mean, so he was able to adapt very quickly to, uh, you know, the green, dealing with the green monster, its peculiarities, its quirks, and its caroms and all that. He was he was able to adapt quickly to it? Absolutely. He worked at it, and, and I would say, uh, you know, after maybe uh, 10 or 15 games, he, he hit the whole thing down pat. And, you know, and look, there's not a lot of ground to cover out there. And because uh, it's a very short uh, foul line, as you know. And uh, he's a very athletic guy. And uh, playing the ball off the wall, you know, has to get a sense of if it hits where, is it going straight down? So the short answer is he, he was very good fielder, very good with the uh, green monster from. Okay. Now, when he was on the road, though, playing in the oppo opposing stadiums, did he have a good throwing arm? He could cover the ground that necessary? I mean, like Yan old Yankee Stadium had a big left field. Could he cover the ground there when he was on the road? Yeah, and that's an interesting uh, comparison to Ted because uh, he has like, no problem at all. In fact, uh, one of his... Uh, and the greatest catches was, was out there left field in the stadium, uh, saving Billy Ruiz no hitter uh, in the ninth inning. And so there was, there was uh, no deficiency. When Ted played in Yankee Stadium, it was a real problem. I mean, nobody seems to write about or talk about it. You know, why they didn't play him in right field is beyond me. When Dave Bruce came with that way back, they played him in left field. But uh, so the shooting is a he, he could handle the field anywhere. And, he, and again, he, he was a natural uh, athlete. And, you know, I've interviewed over 100 former Red Sox players, and probably 30 of them were teammates of, of Powell at one time or another. <laughs> they were out for 20, 30 seasons. And I made it a point as often as I could to say, hey, how was Yaz like as a teammate? And to a man, they all said the same thing. Hardest working ball player I ever saw. We knew he was going to the Hall of Fame, but there was not a, a bit of pretense to him. 
worked uh, worked harder than anybody. A great a great teammate. Very quiet, and uh, that's fine too. Uh, so you know, he, he, uh, he, he certainly definitely could comport himself home and away. Uh, before 1967, I remember yeah, as a kid, uh, Bill Stanky used to manage the Chicago White Sox during the mid 1960s. Uh, made an infamous remark about Yaz, saying, and I quote, "He said Yaz was a superstar from the neck down." Unquote. Was that was that too harsh, or was that semi accurate? I mean, what was Yaz mentally? You know, from 61 to 66. That was Eddie Stanky's genius sitting under his skin. <laughs> so that was totally, totally unfounded, except that Yaz thought he was faster than he was, and uh, he'd steal 15 bases and he'd try 12 times. And uh, you know, perhaps his instincts on the, on the, uh, uh, on the base pass wasn't quite as good as his, his <laughs> IE and coordination. But Yaz, as Hanky could see, oh boy, he's going to get under his skin. I don't, I don't think it really bothered him too much. He was in the zone that, that whole year, and then he stinky wasn't going to break that bubble. Okay, uh -huh. so basically it's a baseless canard then, correct? You know, that remark by Stanky yeah. then, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one of a hundred Stanky made during his career. <laughs> Herb, we come to 1967. I mean, what were the, when you talk to his teammates and all that? What were the key factors that led to that stupendous year? I did. Did he do anything different than he did before, like you know, training or adjusting his stance or anything like that? What led to that magnificent season? And uh, based on your analysis, yeah, there's no question. You know, uh, he had signed out a Notre Dame and promised his mother and father. Get his degree, and he went to Merrimack College uh, here in the Boston area uh, every year through 1966. And uh, so, preceding the 67 year, the first year he had off in the sense of uh, training as much as he wanted, not, not trying to pass exam. And, and he went to a, a local uh, uh, health place and, and got a trainer. <laughs> first thing the trainer said to him was, you're no athlete, <laughs> but he really gave him a workout. So he reported uh, to spring training with the best attitude and the best condition uh, that he ever had. It was night and day, like a different different person. And, you know, uh, Dick Williams had taken over as manager, and, and Jazz had been the captain of the Red Sox, and uh, uh, Williams said, there's only one boss in there that's going to be me, so... The writers immediately went out to Linfield and said, yeah, I was like, you upset? And he said, thank God, I never wanted to be captain. <laughs> One of the best things that ever happened to me. So, yeah, it was a totally, totally different uh, uh, year in, in so many ways. So is it accurate to say Yaz did his leadership on the playing field? That was his leadership then, correct? That is 100% correct. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Whenever I've interviewed a uh, baseball lifer like uh, uh, Ralph Houck or uh, uh, Don Zimmer, I always say to them, you ever seen anybody have a better year than Kyle Yastrzemski in 1967? And they all say the same thing, not when every game mattered. And, and it, was, it, it was hard to figure out the last couple of weeks where they had to win almost every game. <laughs> and he was backing about 500. 
why in the world they were still pitching to him. I, I guess they thought eventually they figured it out, but the Twins <laughs> pitched him all weekend. They went uh, seven for eight, something like that. Uh, yeah, he was he was phenomenal. Were you there, were, Herb? Were you there personally in the stands during those last two games of the season against the Minnesota Twins at the end of the regular season in '67? Were you in the stands? I, I was on. I probably at the very beginning. I should have said I'm. I'm just a fan, like uh, everybody out there. Originally, I had no uh, training as a writer. When uh, when I was about fifty, I decided I'd make myself into a baseball writer, and here we are. Uh, so I, you know, I was home watching the TV like uh, a million other uh, uh, Red Sox fans. You know, New England come to life the year before. Tennis was eight hundred and eleven thousand, and it was over a million seven, more than double. Yep. And uh, you know, it's always been a great baseball town, but 1966 was just dreadful, and uh, there really wasn't much of a reason to to go, and nobody was there. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, it became clear, probably in uh, June, that, whoa, this is a little different. And uh, people start to get interested, and they go up. And, and you know, in addition to being called the Impossible Dream Team, they were called the Cardiac uh, Kids, because they would come from behind and win at the last minute. And, you know, they said he was a 100-to-1 underdog uh, the year before they finished nine out of 10. And the you know the Rangers thought maybe they'd make it up to eight or seven. Under the one last Vegas if you wanted to take the Red Sox to the World Series. <laughs> so it was just a very it brought baseball back to New England. Most important uh, uh, season in, in the last hundred years, let's say. Were you able to attend any of the World Series games at Fenway? Because they played, was it games one, two, and the six and the seven at Fenway in the '67 series? Were you able to get to one of those games? No, same answer. I was a fan uh, sitting at home and, and watching. And, you know, it's kind of ironic because uh, I'm about the same age as, as most of those players. And uh, over the years, I've become, they've become great friends to me. I, you know, tomorrow I'll call Jose Santiago and ask him what he's coming up. And I'm in touch with Dalton Jones. Jim Lonborn was my dentist. I'm still in touch with him. So it's kind of ironic that... Uh, but it gives me a different perspective. I know uh, when I interview a player, what fans want to learn, uh, because that's what I am. I think so just a fan. We're the most important group of all. We're the ones who provide the money. Didn't Yaz hit slap two home runs in game two of that 67 series? I seem to recall reading that. Didn't Didn't he hit two home runs yeah, in that oh, game? Yeah. He, had a, he had a great series. And uh, in that game, Jim Longford pitched a one-hitter. And uh, Yaz had a couple of home runs. And then, of course, uh, they, they get down three games to one, and everybody said, well, that was a hell of an effort. And Longboard came through in game five and uh, bought him another chance in game six. And Gary Wazlewski gave him five good innings. Next thing you knew, it was game seven, and uh, it was all Bob Gibson. Uh, you know, Gibson beat us in game one and game four. Yeah. Longboard won games two and game five. And I said to Jim, supposing they rained and you'd had another day of rest, he was pitching on only two days of rest. Yeah. He said, well, remember, Bob Gibson would have had another day of rest, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> still. It was unstoppable. Yeah. 
But yeah. a wonderful, wonderful. In fact, that, you know, the players said to me they, they were heartbroken. They were in the locker room. They really thought they were going to win. And, uh, you know, it was like the worst thing they ever had. And then the next day they woke up and said, wait a minute. Nobody expected us to do anything. <laughs> we ended up in a World Series. And plus they were being invited out to a banquet every night. So uh, yep. they get over their disappointment <laughs> quickly. <laughs> Tell me if I recall correctly, isn't Carl Yastrzemski the last American leaguer to win the Triple Crown? Is he the last? I think he uh, no, is the last American. He, he was until Cabrera won it, uh, uh, I guess it's probably five, six years ago now. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he was the, uh, the last for until, let's say, 2015. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it, the combination of, of, of hitting for an average in power is it's pretty tough, as you know. Yep. Now, let's fast forward. Let's go to that 75 season. Uh, how well did Yastrzemski yeah. do in that 75 season? Uh, what are your memories of him that year? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I now he's, uh, you know, he's in his 15th season, and, uh, you know, he's become kind of a, a senior citizen. There's always a, a, a funny relationship with the fans. The part of it goes back to having the best year anybody ever had in 1967, then being in staff every year. And uh, he, he, he couldn't reproduce it, and neither did anybody else uh, put a team on their back uh, the way he did. Uh, but by 1975, he's now playing 150 games at first base. And uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he probably hit about uh, 269, uh, you know, some modest amount. So he was a, a, a real contributor, but you know the, the stars, of course, were uh, Lynn and Fisk and uh, that whole crew. He, he was a little bit in the background, but then Jim Rice got hit, play a fastball, broke his hand. He couldn't play left field in the series, so they said, "God, think he can still do that." He kind of uh, laughed and, and put on a clinic out there. It, it was it was fun. It was like he found the company you to get a second chance. And his youth, and he was throwing runners out and making shoestring catches. And, and I, I think, you know, a little bit of inspiration being, oh, go three straight, nobody thought they were the big. And, uh, and they were in the big red machine with, uh, I don't know, 10 wins. Yeah. <laughs> 104, I think. And uh, we had won 90 and said, well, this kind of silly to have to uh, the series. That'll be over quickly. And as it turned out, we won three games to four. Now, I know it doesn't show up that way yep. in, the, uh, in the record books, but as far as we're concerned, we act, you know, as Bill Lee says, we scored more runs than they did overall series, so we should be the winners. When you consider the long, the long drought the Red Sox had before they finally won the series in 04, was was there ever a perception by the Red Sox fans that they saw Yaz as quote unquote like a doomed hero? In other words, striving mildly, but the end always falling short. Was there ever that type of a miniature? No, that's not the way the Red Sox fans saw Yaz during those those the long years of the drought. Yeah, he uh, he had a very mixed reaction from the fans, and they said he was continually compared with '67 and fell short like everybody else. Uh, in addition. You know, Ted was otherworldly. He was like, uh, you know, from another planet. And, and, and Yaz was too much like us. You know, 
he got divorced, we got divorced, uh, he was getting older, we were getting older. It was like, hey, we don't, we don't need a hero who's having trouble with the kids like we are. <laughs> so there was, there was a little bit of that. And, uh, you know, the, the fellowship of the miserable, uh, uh, there, there certainly were a lot of people. He, they needed a scapegoat, and uh, he was the handiest. And, uh, you know, have, having declined in his, his skill level, he was a, an easy hit. But, you know, take the, the 78 season, he had another terrific season. And, uh, you know, had the, the one game playoff, he got a couple of hits at home run, he did his thing. And, uh, and, and yes, he did make the last out in 67, 75, 78. And, and that's because he was the guy who got up there. Uh, a pretty good chance he might be the last guy, uh, last guy standing. Getting back to Ted Williams, how did Williams look at Yaz, and how did Yaz look at Williams? Was there a relationship between the two men? I mean, were they friends, or were they ever rivals? I mean, how did the two men, these two immortal men, great legends who occupied left field from 39 to 84 continuously, how did they see one another? Um, if you search for a hundred years, Matt, you'd never find two more uh, different people. Ted was loud and uh, boisterous, and, uh, and you know, every every you know, John Wayne only wished he was Ted Williams. Williams <laughs> in person was, uh, you know, intimidating, and uh, you know, he, he just had charisma. Yeah, he has, you know, he was like one of the guys. You know, he's five foot eleven, and Ted was six four, and yeah. physique and, uh, uh, you know, yeah, and again, the yeah, other was too much like us. It bothered a lot of people. <laughs> they wanted to, you know, be a life hero. And, and so they didn't particularly, I think the one story that uh, tells it best, uh, you know, they tried to have a relationship. And, uh, and, and the answer was quite efficient. And Ted was world-class fisherman. He invited uh, uh, Yaz to come along. They'd go out for an afternoon of fishing. And, you know, they were going to bond, and, and so uh, Yaz showed up at Ted's, uh, Ted's boat, and, and William said, what's that you got on your arm? And uh, Yaz said, oh, it's a case of beer. <laughs> and Ted said, there's no beer allowed in my boat. And Yaz said, <laughs> Yaz said see you, Ted. <laughs> I think that's the only story you really see. Oh, wow. Were you... Th- <laughs> Herb, were you there in the stands for his absolute final game in his final season? Were you there for the last yep. game? No, there I am again. I mean, it was an amazing sight because, you know, he, he really, he's an introvert. I guess that's a simple description. And in that day, he just decided to, you know, touch people and uh, spontaneously ran around the field touching anybody who could reach out to him ah, and uh yeah you know it was the spontaneity i think as much as anything and in the contrast to yeah was kind of the uh, head down blue collar uh he, he showed some emotion and you know i think people could say wow 23 seasons <laughs> 1967 the season that saved the franchise yeah you know I, I guess maybe, I guess we do owe it something and, and, and that turned things around. But uh, again, uh, I, did, I didn't uh, become a, an elitist until the 86 uh, postseason. Yep. I was at most of the game. I've been at most of the uh, 
postseason games since that. But up until that point, I was, you know, again, a fan like the people listening. Yeah. How today we're sixty years. It's been sixty years since Yaz made his debut. Today, right here now, how do Red Sox fans re- remember Yaz today? What is the consensus view about Red Sox fans about Carl Yastrzemski and what he meant to the, the Red Sox nation? <laughs> well, you got to remember he's going to be eighty-two years old next week. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so we have an issue of uh, the, the the people who. Who remember 1967 have to be at least, you know, at least 60 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it, it was you had to experience it. They, having written a book about, it, I know you just can't quite, quite recreate it. And uh, you know, I think he, most fans at Evansarum, or if they did, Sharon at the very tail end, and. Uh, uh, if, if they take the time to look at the record books and see who had the most games, the most this, the most that, uh, yeah, he shows up. They invite him in and throw the first ball out. And, 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 yeah, next year will be another anniversary for the uh, 6017. And he comes in and he, you know, is pleasant as can possibly be. I, I uh, interviewed him once and has been in uh, gatherings. And, and yeah, he's always friendly, so I'm all over him. Uh, he, he's a really good guy, but he has no interest in social. Yeah. <laughs> He'll throw out the first ball, and by the second inning, he's about uh, 10, 12 miles away from the ballpark. He has uh-huh. no interest. I think the exception, you know, his grandson came in uh, just a couple of years ago, and, and he did go out there, and he insisted that he not be visible, uh, not because he was Greta Gabo, but he said, you know, this is my grandson's night. I don't want anybody, anybody focusing on me. Ah, and, uh, okay. So that, that got him there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there were, the son had a, a difficult time being, yeah, as a son and not a grandson, is, you know, terrific kid, all star. That's a great story. Redemption, you know, in a way. Yes. Herb, I want to thank you so much for appearing on my show. Even though I live in Philadelphia and grew up in South Jersey, I always, I always loved the Red Sox. I mean, Fenway Park was has always been my field of dreams. And last day of May, nineteen ninety-seven, I actually attended a Red Sox-Yankee game. I had seats in dead center field, and Mo Vaughn hit three home runs that night. And I'll tell you, that was one of the most transcendental moments of my life. I felt tingly. All over. Yeah. For me, Fenway will always be my f- field of dreams. And Herb, I would love to have you on my show again in the in the love months and back, years man. to come. Okay. All right, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll figure out some beautiful anniversaries, and we'll talk about the Red Sox again. Okay. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a great honor, pleasure. And hey, Herb, be safe. Okay. You too. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks, man. Thanks. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for next week's show. Uh, please get vaccinated, be safe, socially distance, and please get those vaccination shots. Thank you and good night.